Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing episode five, A Life in the Day. Written by Mike Moore and directed by John Scott, IMDb gave this a 9.5. The synopsis is Julia helps Alice navigate a personal crisis. Quentin and Elliot go on an adventure. And my, what an adventure they went on. I thought this was an excellent episode, by far the best of the season yet. There was a lot of information. We learned a little more about the new key quest, which I didn't anticipate with everything else they had going on. There was some quick but great character work. And by quick, I mean they really got to the important points fast, especially in the Quentin Elliott montage. I thought that was a brilliant way to handle that. And as usual, they didn't shy away from the hard topics, whether it was in the form of looking at character psyche with Katie's mental illness. And I'm not sure if we're going to keep going with that, but it's intriguing, or the Julia Raynard situation, as well as their plot. I mean, they tackled time travel. I absolutely agree. This is one of my favorite episodes of the whole series. And I feel like I'm saying that often with this (laughs) season. So I think, and it's a little early to say, but season three is my favorite season. So far, I would definitely agree. I also just love that we got to see the Quentin Elliott relationship more. I know I'm already talking about that a lot, but it was something I thought they handled really excellently in the books, and we haven't seen as much of it on TV yet. If you think back to season one, Elliot was the first person Q met, and Elliot was very cocky. I mean, it was cool. I liked him. He was very cool. If you remember the way he was sitting on the stoop, and then he was introduced to Margot, and it was always like Margot and Elliot talking to Q. But I did feel like there was a bond there right away. But with this, they've now served a lifetime together. And one, with those scenes, I did not expect this to happen. I was really, really pleasantly surprised. When they said 12 days, I was like, oh my God, 12 days. (laughs) And then when they said to the first year and the last year. And I was like, a year? Yeah. And then they just kept upping it. And Q says, we're going to be here for a decade. Well, I love that you go back to season one because there was this seed planted of Quentin meeting him first. There was definitely an attraction there that they explored a little bit. But as you say, in the form of a triangle with the Quentin Elliott Margot relationship. So we finally get back to the two of them and this bond they have together. And they're able to kind of play that out over the course of a lifetime that I was so nervous was going to get erased when they went back, but it turns out, no, they still remember that somehow. Yeah, and we'll go into that a little bit later. But let me ask you off the top. Now that they've gone through a whole life together, they had a family, essentially. Mm. It was Elliot's family as well. Even though the baby was with Q and the wife obviously was with Q, I think it was all a close bond in that little shed. Do you think their relationship from this point on is going to be different? I do. And in fact, I wonder if that's going to impact on the Elliot Margot relationship because she's kind of been stuck back there at the castle. She mentions it. It feels like there might be a little bit of resentment building when she says Quentin and Elliot get to do all the fun stuff and go on the adventures. And I'm left back here as a mediator, as the Florian middle manager. And I think that's going to continue to be an issue. And this goes back to one of those main themes we've talked about a lot 
what is each character's role within the story compared to what they thought it was. We've discussed that with Quentin as the quote-unquote hero, although more and more that's Elliot playing out those sort of quests. They're starting to go into it a lot more where power and magic are concerned, especially with Julia and Alice. And the aspect of, am I living the role that I want to live? So again, Margot saying, I don't feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And Jane advising her, this is your story. Kind of Mm -hmm. be the main character in your own story, you know? And we had a lot of hints, again, in regards to the women and magic and their power. Their power in life as well, which we'll divulge as we go along. You know what I think they're doing really well this season? Not that they did it poorly before but I think they've really mastered it. We always talk about, especially in our movie reviews, when there's too many stars, or too many main characters, it's really hard to juggle their storylines and make everyone seem valuable. The first two seasons, again, they didn't do it poorly, but they were trying to balance it from an episode-per-episode basis. And I think this season, they're really embracing the fact that we have plenty of episodes, so we'll concentrate on Penny this entire episode. And then... The next episode, it'll just be Elliot and Quentin that is really concentrated. But also, we're going to give you a banger with our other, <laughs> with a couple of our other magicians. But we don't even need to give them that much screen time. They're really doing well with balancing. I love that. And, and also, they're dealing with it by pairing them up, right? Putting the important characters or, or more specifically the characters that have similarities in journey together so that we can a- tackle that all at once. Yeah, you just reminded me when you said that. Just this season alone, Q's journey or quests have diverged greatly many times. It was him and Julia in the beginning of this season, and it was very important. And then it's just moved along. I mean, he's been everywhere. Well, and he was kind of continually on Earth for a long time, too. Now he's sort of brought into this fillery quest, and I wonder if that's going to continue or if they're going to bring him back to Earth now. I would like to see a little bit more of him and Fillory and him with Me too. Elliot. I think I mean, that'd be exciting. Yeah, let's not forget his whole dream was to be in Fillory. Yeah. And then when they all got there, we realized it was just going to be Elliot and Margo most of the time, remember? Yeah. But I can safely say now he spent more time in Fillory than anywhere else. <laughs> I mean, an entire life. That's true. We also talked about the idea of the chat wins coming back into play over the course of the last few episodes, and we really ramped that up a notch this episode with bringing Jane into it and how did that ultimately play into the bigger storyline and adventure. It was such a big deal, the idea of her creating these time loops and going back that I thought we had told her whole story, but it's exciting that it continues to be relevant. I agree. I mean, they were so prevalent in season one and season two. They were the main part of the story, right? They were the beginning sequence. I don't like it when shows or movies dis guard these main premises once they're done with it. I love it when they find a way to loop them right back in. It feels like it links back to the essence of Fillory, which started out with the Fillory and Further book series that Quentin was obsessed with before he knew that was a real thing. (laughs) And then the first people we know about to get to Fillory to go on these adventures, humans before our group that encountered all of this stuff, the Chatwins. They were also a really big part of Lev Grossman's books, and he would sprinkle them throughout to give us information about the past. So we're actually going to do our character review at the top this time because it's about Jane Chatwin. We pulled a little bit of information from the books, but I don't think I'm giving you any spoilers. You probably don't need to worry. However, if you are afraid, you can just fast forward a few minutes 
to where we get into new faces and places. Jane Chatwin, a.k.a. Eliza and the Watcher Woman. She was the youngest Chatwin sibling after Martin, Fiona, Rupert, and Helen. In the Fillory and Further books, she was described as extraordinarily clever, being able to solve complex riddles and escape difficult situations through the use of her intellect. Even without the full comprehension of magical theory, Jane knew the basics. She was able to escape the clutches of someone called the Madness Maker, a trickster magician gone insane, by beating him at his own game. Of course, her importance was that Jane was given a silver stopwatch by Ember that was created by the dwarves of Fillory after Martin went missing. The powerful artifact allowed Jane to manipulate time on a cosmic scale. She used this power to travel through time, eventually becoming the infamous Watcher Woman, as well as creating time loops across worlds, essentially granting her a reset button that she used time and again to rid Fillory of the Beast until she was finally successful. So I think it's important to note, and probably mostly everyone realized, that the key is not the element that had the power to go through time or create time loops. Yeah, it was her stopwatch because, as we said, it was created by the dwarves, who are these human-like beings that live in Fillory's underground caves, crafting clocks and magical items through horomancy, which is a type of magic that Elliot brings up later sort of as an Easter egg when he explains how he knows about clocks. The problem was, it seems she needed an extraordinary amount of power to keep creating the time loops. She needed a boost, if you will. And that's where the key came into play. This third key that they've found, they call the key to greater magic. And so that's sort of what we're inferring, that it powers up, if you will, any other magical item or magic period. Which is very interesting. And later on, I want to go through, hopefully if we have time, the current keys that we have. And I briefly broke down with you, Christina, the cover photo for this season. And I want to go through that again with what we've learned and see if we can dissect it further. Sounds good. We'll bring in our little chart that we've been creating. Let's move now into new faces and places. For faces, we got the tribe of the floating mountain, or floaters, as they call them. Apparently, when magic failed, their mountain crashed and is now an island off the coast. And their armies number 4,000 spears. We also met the mother, Lady Agate Grey, or the Stone Queen, played by Dina Meyer, Fomar, the younger son of the tribe, and Prince Micah, the older son. And finally, we had Ariel and Lunk. And Ariel is the woman that Quentin winds up having the child with, Lunk, her boyfriend that she kind of ditches (laughs) somewhere into the story. He ditches her. He was found with another peach. Right, of course. For Spells and Magic, we learn a little about Chapter 3. Quentin tells us this is about the daughter's training to become a knight and plays with the classic trope of the hero's journey. The mosaic that winds up becoming central is a puzzle where you have to use tiles to create a design that reflects the beauty of all life. Or at least that's what they think. When you do, there's a prize, the key to greater magic. No, I think they're still right, the beauty of all life. Oh, they're right about that, but not about the fact that you have to use the tiles in a specific way. Poor Q. And Elliot. Oh, yeah, but especially he's there the whole time. Okay, there's 784 tiles, Mm. 15 colors, all these different factorials. We can think this one out. A shitload of zeros. And Elliot tells him, no, no, you can't logic your way into the beauty of life. (laughs) And finally, we talked about horomancy, this clock magic, which is an obscure discipline 
that deals with the creation of magical clocks for various effects, manipulation of time, weather, optics, or as Jane used it for, temporal manipulation. All right, so we have so much to talk about. I actually watched this episode three times. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) But before we dive into the plot, I want to give a big shout out to one of our new Patreon members, MJC. Thank you for joining the podcast. And for Sophia for upgrading your tier. I hope you enjoy those bonus casts. If you guys have any trouble listening to all those casts, let us know. You can message us there. Speaking of new Patreon members, this weekend we'll be doing our monthly drawing for the Patreon-exclusive free CKC gear giveaway. And just to remind you, we're going to have two giveaways. One hat drawing for the brand new Patreon members for that month. And one for everybody who's on Patreon. So if you miss it your first month, chances are you'll eventually win because there's always going to be a drawing for you. MJC, keep in mind that the drawing this month is for last month's new members, so you'll be in the next one. But it should be fun. It's our first video. And if you haven't joined the Patreon podcast... What are you waiting for? (laughs) Don't worry. You haven't missed anything as far as things disappearing. We have a huge library of movie reviews and bonus podcasts for you to check out. And every month we'll be doing the CKC gear giveaway thanks to one of our Clatchers who gave us an endowment. So just to give you a quick review on what you'd get on Patreon. First of all, you'd be joining the greatest army in the world. And second, you'll get bonus podcasts, which is a monthly podcast that Christina and I put together where we talk about news, we talk about tech, we talk about other shows that we're watching and... Any other fun topics that we can think of. It's a little bit more casual and laid back. You get more of an insight into what goes on behind the podcast and fun bloopers from the millions of mistakes we inevitably make while yeah. recording this before Jason so cleverly edits them out. Yeah, those, those end up being pretty funny. I get a little loopy when we're here for a couple hours talking on the mic, so I get a little silly. We continually take the feedback from Patreon members and try to make it better. For example, in one of our last bonus casts, we created the first ever Clatcher Guild Awards to discuss the best TV and movie shows from 2017. And we also have some great new ideas for the future, so make sure you stay tuned for that. In the next level up, you get movie review casts. Every month, we go and see either a new movie or a fun throwback that you guys recommend, and we give you behind-the-scenes information and pretty extensive... Breakdowns of the movies? Yeah. Yeah. A lot we goes into that. We definitely dive into that. Last month, we did Jumanji, which was really fun, and this month, we'll be doing Maze Runner to complete our trilogy of reviews for Maze Runner. Yes, part three, The Death Cure. And if you're into that, all three will be on Patreon, so you can check those out. Give it a try for a month. We think you'll really dig the family. Now let's jump into the plot before we get old and die. Yes, which we've broken up into three main sections. The scenes on Earth, those at the Mosaic, and those at White Spire. Starting out on Earth, we have this scene between Alice and Quentin where there's an awkward conversation, since it's weird now, (laughs) where she tells him she's off with Penny to take care of something. Also, I thought it was hilarious. Like, oh, uh, Penny's here, so don't say anything weird about him. Or, or negative or something. Kind of like preemptive. I know this is coming, but he can hear you. Keep your mouth shut. Do you think he would have said something? Like, what, what would there be to say? Oh, I don't know. Just constantly between Quentin and Penny, right? But also, Quentin throws in some interesting information about the fact that since the physical cottage has been moved so many times, there's no deed for it. He even makes mention, how do you sell something if you don't have a deed? 
I'm wondering if this is going to impact, we know that brake bills is in the process of being sold out from underneath them. Is this their loophole for the group to keep access to the physical cottage? I wonder, I mean, I don't really know how this works, but if you're a college and you have a whole campus, I'm sure like everything on that campus is part of what you're buying. It's got to be. No, you would think, but each structure sometimes has to have its own physical deed. Take LIU, for example, was a former residence before it was converted into a school. So there might still be things that are separated out by deed that don't all come together. And I say this because clearly the cast and production team have put a lot of work into the physical cottage. We love that cottage. Right. I think this is going to be their out for that. And I put this on Twitter Every time I see that "tada" sign, I, I wish we had that in our studio. <laughs> that would be amazing. And I would make the D fall down like that, too. We'd have to. I want the bookshelves that they have over the archways on the doors. Mm. If we ever become stupid rich, let's just rebuild <laughs> the home. We'll hire the, the team that designed just it. Completely rebuild it with the, everything in it. The jeans, <laughs> couch, and... Okay, but I also want the heartwood tree from the Muntjac. That'll be outside. No, No. right in the middle of the room, glowing. Just the tree, not the Munchak? No, just the tree. You know how it kind of goes up towards the roof? Okay. I was thinking maybe we build a moat and we have the Munchak on there. Oh, (laughs) okay. Now we're getting getting crazy. (laughs) So back to this scene, I mean, I'm not into having this same awkward thing between Quentin and Alice play out for too long. I was kind of happy that they just addressed it, and moved on. Yeah, and I also feel like they needed to address it so that we would be more comfortable with how close Elliot and Q end up getting. Mm. We wouldn't be like, wait, what about Alice? You know? Yeah, I think they covered it. They're good. And then they send Alice off on a different journey, which is great. She goes to see Katie, where she's in a therapy room at Crick Psychiatric Hospital. She's gone there because she has no insurance. Alice gives Katie the truth key to hold, which makes her physically ill, I think it's interesting how each of our characters reacts to this truth key and how it seems to represent the level to which they are able or not to deal with the truth. You have someone like Elliot who is barely phased by it. Oh, no problem. Hey, Penny, what's up? What's going on? Julia, who has a deal of difficulty managing that, and Katie, who looks like she's about to throw up when she holds it. And of course, this is because of the emotional upheaval she's dealing with when it comes to Penny. She tells him she tried and failed to save him and it broke her. She can't deal with him as an astral projection. She's upset, angry. She even says, when does this end? He's the reason she's in there and she needs to put herself back together. I thought it was a little mean, like he's the reason. You know, he got ill trying to save the crew. He keeps getting hurt trying to do things for the crew. He died. He died for the crew. He's probably the most selfless person. We've talked about this all three seasons. I, I mean, know. Arjun, I know you don't like that, but we definitely still feel that way. So maybe one thing she needs to realize is that she's not mad at Penny. She's mad at herself. Or, you know, she feels guilty about not being able to save him. There's something deeper than that. But this is one storyline that they didn't have time to press upon in this episode. So I am interested in where this goes. But one thing, because this is when we say goodbye to Penny, is that I was hoping for more Penny. Well, first of all, I'm always hoping for more Penny. But after the end of last episode, you would think there would be this big 
scene where everyone's freaking out and Penny's like, you could see me, you know, like kind of they could play off of that and make a really funny scene. After Katie talked to him, he kind of just disappeared. So again, he's in no man's land. It's almost like they think, well, we had the full Penny episode. We're good now for a little bit. And this is why I was so frustrated with the character's reactions to his death last time. Is that it? Really? Is everyone just kind of so non-affected by it except for Katie? And I think the ultimate answer is kind of yes, and they're moving on from it a bit. I'm sure we'll come back to him later, but I agree that I hope they don't shelve it for too long. Yeah, what was he doing this whole episode after that scene? I mean, he says, come on, let's go to Alice. It felt to me the way he said it that they had somewhere to go, but I guess not. At least they didn't show us. No, it seemed like she was off on this other thing with Julia for the rest of the time. I'm not sure. And we also wonder, doesn't this mean he's still going to have to go back to the library? Or did he get an end around on that? And maybe he did. They haven't come for him. He's not going there yet. Man, I hope that he doesn't get so depressed and frustrated that he says to himself, well, this is all I have left. I might as well just go back to the library. Well, what library? There's no library, at least the one we know of. I, I know there's plenty of other ones. There's no library there right now. I guess the station they have in the underworld, and thank you to the Clatcher that wrote in and pointed that out. We were puzzling that all of last episode, not realizing they mentioned they have a branch in the right. underworld. I would, like, I would not like to see those books. <laughs> but also back to Katie, I 100% agree. This is very much what she needs to deal with with what's going on inside of her head. And I think she kind of came to that. That's what she was doing at the hospital. She knows she needs to take care of herself and manage things better, but she doesn't know how to do that while dealing with the Penny situation simultaneously. It's just too much for her. And another example of, hmm, is this mistaken bad advice from Alice or does she have these ulterior motives everywhere? Because she is a smart person. Yeah. And it seems like she's kind of moving pieces around the board to achieve her own ends everywhere. Yeah, especially the way she was speaking with Julia. Uh, I was thinking that the first time I watched this episode, but I think this particular scene, no. There was nothing she could get out of that personally, as far as magic is concerned. Or at least I like to think that. But when she walks out of the room to give them time alone, and she looks in... And the camera looks in and you can see Katie just talking to nobody. My first thought that came to mind was if someone sees her, they're going to really think she's crazy. Mm. And it does turn around. There was a camera there apparently. So It didn't seem there was anything for Alice to gain. And yet I had that feeling she's setting her up somehow. The same way I wondered why she was pushing so hard with Penny last time for him to go to the underworld. I don't know what the motive is and maybe it's nothing but I don't trust her this season. No, I don't trust her at all. And I definitely want to go into that further with the Julia scenes. It actually kind of feeds right into the next thing because Alice goes and finds Julia researching something Penny told her he saw on the astral plane using books on religion. Now, we don't have any idea what that is, do we? No, not at all. And it looks like Alice is going to have a bad reaction to that, yet we don't get to see it because she's seized her eyes roll back and she gives a message. Alice needs your help. Who are you? Help her, Julia. So again, our eyes lit up. We're like, okay, here we go. We're going to find out a little bit more of whoever is possessing these people. 
Yes. Even though it's momentarily possession, momentary possession. But we knew. I mean, <laughs> we knew it was Persephone, right? We were right. I'm so glad that was the case because also we really just wanted to see more of her. And in the next scene, we're going to have the opportunity to get a little bit, not a mm-hmm. lot, but at least a conversation. They go to a bar to have a drink. Alice tells Julia she used to be the best at something, magic. But then magic took over, and by the time she came back from being a Niffin, she had lost herself. And I do think that's true. Yeah. I do think that is the <clears throat> ultimate struggle that Alice does not know what to do with. The problem is, instead of trying to reconcile herself and find Alice again, the way Quentin really wants her to do, she's completely focused on gaining that power back. Well, because to her, her identity was her magic. She was the best at break bills. And then she was the most powerful as a Niffin. Without that, without magic, she has no identity, at least to herself. Yeah, it's inseparable, even from old Alice. So she is looking to get that angle in with Julia. Julia is the only one that still has any magic, and she can't understand why. Julia tells her the prevailing theory is that she was left with an extra something when Persephone restored her shade. And that felt very much to me like the writers speaking directly to us, knowing that there were many theories about what was going on with Julia. And I guess the main one was that it was from Persephone. I also like Alice's comment about that, where she says all magic has a provenance and Julia needs to figure it out. There's rules to this. There's order and sense in her mind. Magic doesn't just come from nowhere and you don't just have it for no reason. If you have it, somebody gave it to you. It belongs to somebody. Let's figure this puzzle out. And that also kind of harkens back to us losing all of magic. All of magic came from somewhere. How Mm. do we fix that? Who took it? Why does some of it still exist? Mm-hmm. We're going to get all of those answers eventually. So when Alice thinks maybe a mirror could help her focus, the whole time as she's starting to say that, I start tingling because I'm remembering what we said on the podcast about how important that scene was when Julia couldn't hold the key too long and she felt so weird. And we were saying maybe it's the truth about her. She's avoiding something about herself. And we were dead on with that. She does not want to hold it again when Alice tells her that. That's right. And now we have a mirror there. And I was like, here we go. Well, and I was really scared. If you remember the last time we tried messing around with mirror magic, that's when the beast came through to this world. But it works out for the best this time. When she looks into the mirror, her eyes first change color. And they look just like Renard's. Freaks her out. Freaks me out. (laughs) But she's transported to this alternate empty bar where Persephone is waiting to talk. Well, same bar parallel space, if you will, that she's able to create for them. And she tells her she planted a seed for Julia to grow and tried to guide her as gently as she could. Are you kidding me? She saw Reynard's eyes because the seed came from him. I took it from him and gave it to you. And when you showed mercy, you earned this. Persephone was trying to help her from the very beginning as we thought she felt bad Mm -hmm. for what Reynard had done. We wondered if she was taking Reynard to kill him. And it seems, in fact, she did. But she saved some of that magic to give to Julia. Julia's not seeing it that way, though. She's angry that Persephone didn't ask her or even tell her. You didn't think before shoving some rapist seed inside me to ask me? You gods are real shaky on the concept of consent, you know that? I see both of their views. I mean, Julia's point of view is so justified. Because of what Reynard did to her and being pregnant from his seed, and then she gives her a part of him 
inside of her without asking. It's the same concept if you think about it. It is, but I think Julia has become hypersensitive and understandably so because her consent has been violated so extraordinarily that she's unable to see A, the intent behind this, which was to help her, not harm her. Of course. B, Persephone had to kill her own son for what he had done. And despite what he'd become, that couldn't have been easy. What a shame if on top of that, all of that magic went to waste. So it's not like she's giving her any of his personality or characteristics, at least we hope. It's just the power. Yeah, Persephone should have lied and been like, I imbued you with some of my My power. My own. Yeah. Yeah. Although then I guess she would have been lying to her. Yeah. So as you said, well, I can definitely see Julia's side of it as well. The problem is she still hasn't worked through any of this. So she can't remove herself. These are triggers now that she's reactive to maybe even when she doesn't need to be. But they do keep bringing up this idea of consent. It was prominent this episode as another theme. We had the idea of consent with Katie, which we'll come back around to later, who's being held at the hospital Mm -hmm. against her will. The idea of consent with Margot having to marry into this tribe, which she writes off as a joke and it's all very funny, but there are some serious moments with her and what she has to go through there. For sure. And of course, here with Julia. And she says she doesn't want this or accept it. Do you think the chosen want to be chosen? I don't want a molecule of his power. It's not his anymore. It's yours. When Julia returns, Alice argues pretty much the same point, that Reynard is gone now, so it doesn't matter where the power comes from. Julia says Alice doesn't understand, and she agrees. Alice would do anything to get magic back. And here comes the dangerous part, when Julia says she would give it to her if she could, this leads Alice to an idea. And we don't know what that is yet. Well, no, we don't, but we know what is going to happen or what she wants to happen. Julia wants to give up her magic and give it to Alice. First thing I would say is, why are we trusting Alice again? And why would we give her any more power? I mean, we we know that some of this Niffin stuff is still left with her. She cannot be trusted with godlike magical power. How does Julia not notice that? And what we have going on here is Julia feeling that she needs to get rid of her magic in order to get rid of what's happened to her with Reynard. And at the same time, we have Alice needing the magic in order to gain her identity back. And neither one of them are correct. Exactly. This does not solve that. Neither. It's kind of like what I was saying before, Julia doing all of these things. She's back into that pattern of last season. If she could only kill Reynard and get revenge upon him, she would feel better. If she could only get his baby out from inside of her, that goes back to where she was trying to get a magical abortion. Now, if she could only get the power, each one of those things does not make her feel any better. It doesn't resolve the issue. I think she's going to need to come to that and to realize that at times she's making rash decisions for those reasons that aren't smart. My other thought was Persephone gave this to you for a reason. She has something in mind, and if you give it up, a lot may be lost. Yeah. But then, the more I dwelled on it, I was thinking, except for Persephone just said, as Alice, Alice needs your help. So is she saying to do this? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think she would condone what's going on with Alice there, unless, as you say, there's a bigger purpose that we just don't see yet. And, and maybe there is, or maybe it's 
the journey that they're going to go on together that's important and not the ultimate end goal of Alice getting the power. But it makes me nervous that Alice keeps finding herself in these situations with these characters that are incredibly vulnerable and she has the ability to sort of manipulate them to her own ends because she is very smart. In our final Earth scene back at Crick Memorial, Katie tells the doctor she needs to sign herself out, but he refuses as she is a danger to herself or others. He plays that videotape... We were speaking of yep. her talking to the air and saying she wants to kill someone, at which point Katie tries to flee, but they restrain and sedate her. And the magicians again reminds us Katie is a badass fighter. I mean, she takes Bob, does an Aikido move on his wrist and then yeah, no magic punches him out <laughs> and runs away. And it's not it takes like three nurses to take her down and a sedative. Yeah, which is pretty badass. But it just makes me think, like, what does this mean? Does Penny eventually have to come in and help her, maybe? That would be nice. And that's how they wind up kind of resolving their issues. And maybe it gives Katie the time, because as much as she doesn't want to be here, she does need need to address those things. Yeah, but this place doesn't look like a place that would actually help her. No, but if she doesn't think about it that way and just thinks this is time for me to kind of mentally think about stuff and get straight with myself Mm -hmm. away from everything else, because if she was back with the group and all this other stuff going on, you know she wouldn't be able to do that. Maybe it can be good for her instead of continually fighting against everything Mm -hmm. the way she always does, you know? Yeah, unless they keep her drugged up. I'm saying this kind of place doesn't look like it's there's a therapist like you there, you know? At first glance, it didn't appear that way. I agree you're seeing the worst of what psychiatric institutions look like. However, if you kind of step back and look at it from their point of view, they don't know anything about Katie. Mm -hmm. What they're seeing is somebody that looks like they're hallucinating, delusional, talking to no one, saying they want to kill people, came in here, almost died of a drug overdose, In their mind, she does need to be here, and now she's punching guards out. She does need to be sedated. So, I mean, maybe they do have a good program, and we just don't know it yet. (laughs) If I was Katie, when the guy said that to her and showed the tape, I would have been like, well, you saw my friend was just there, and she just spoke to me about what we went through, and she said, do what you need to do to get over over Penny. And what I was doing was acting out as if Penny was there, and I was getting my frustrations out. I was getting closure And that's all you saw there. I was kind of thinking (laughs) that to myself, but of course, she doesn't have the presence of mind. No, of course. To try to talk her way out of that one. That might have worked, right? Maybe. If he's a smart doctor, he would probably see through that. But this reminds me, and I was thinking about this, I didn't want to interrupt you before. Let's go back that one scene with Julia and Persephone. Why didn't she ask Persephone, like, can you help Penny out? She's a God. Because nobody cares about Penny. <laughs> I would have been like, listen, before you leave, you know, Penny is an OLB. Can you help him out in any way? Yeah. I'm sorry, but it's it's kind of true. That's what they demonstrated last episode. Nobody really cares what's going on with him. So when we have Penny on, do we say that to him? Do we say, Arjun, do you realize that none of your crew gives a shit about you? you? Well, they said <laughs> it. They said it last episode, sure. right? <laughs> Okay, it's that time. Let's talk the mosaic. At the cottage, we see Quentin and Elliot researching. We get a little sidebar. Q can't believe Elliot sent 
Fen and Frey into the city with Todd. See, I told you something like that was going to happen. This sounds hysterical, and I am yeah. so hopeful that we will get to see that. We have to see something, even just one clip. It's got to be hilarious. Right? They wouldn't bring it up if they're not going to show it to us. I can only imagine the shenanigans they're getting up to. I know. But then they go back to talking about the quest book, and Q explains chapter three about the daughter's training and how it shows the illustration of where they get the key. The whole time they were building the mosaic, and I knew I was being silly, but I kept saying, if you look at the book, they had a picture. Can't you just follow what the picture did? (laughs) I think that was just advice from somebody who had solved it in the past. You know, it's not necessarily the same picture over and over again. No, it it can only be solved once. No? I don't think so, but I'm not entirely sure on that. But we're going to come to find out that doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, it was just a, (laughs) a depiction of the mosaic. It wasn't a map of how to do it. But they do know if they figure it out, the beauty of all life, there will be a prize, this third key, which is the key to greater magic. Now the problem is how to get there. Quentin tells Elliot they know the clock was a portal to Fillory. Well, more importantly, Elliot gets up and and is like, let's go. And Quentin's like, it's in Fillory. And the look on Elliot's face, (laughs) because I think he really felt good for once. Good's probably not the operative word, but I think some of the weight that he's been carrying since he was made High King was a little off because he it wasn't surrounded by it. And he was feeling a little better, a little less restraint, you know? And then right away, you have to go back to Fillory. He wants a vacation from being High King. Even when he finds out this incredibly ridiculous problem that they have to solve, he's so positive and upbeat and yeah. able to just be in the moment. For sure. I mean, let's go into that. I was going to wait, but when I wait, I end up forgetting to say things. So this whole journey, Elliot is the strong of the two. He's the one that's getting them through it. And I even wrote in my notes stating that it looks like Elliot is the one that's staying positive, the one that's saying, we have to do this. We can get through this. Again, I feel like I'm saying this a lot this season. I apologize. But looking back at the way Elliot used to be, he would just give up and, and hide under the boot under the booze. And now he's the strong one. And I think being high king has really made him grow. And this also goes to the scene with Julia. The greatest leaders are the ones who don't want to be the leader. Those are the ones that end up doing the best. And that happened with Elliot and Margot, but especially Elliot. And I think it's going to happen with Julia as far as having the power. She didn't, she doesn't want to be the only one with the power. Yeah, well, two criteria, right? So they don't want to do it, but then when they realize it's supposed to be them, they accept it and they step up to it. And that's for sure what Elliot and Margot have done. And Elliot has also managed to go at it in such a way he knows his strengths and his weaknesses. Yeah. And he accepts that he plays off his strengths and how they will help him with this journey. And part of what he realized in the books, it's not really a spoiler to tell you this, is that a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time and knowing the cues. The world, the magic, the quest, whatever is telling me to do this now. Mm -hmm. Like what happens when they put the key in the clock and (laughs) Quentin wants to wait and go back and get everyone. And he's sort of like, no, it's time now. Yeah. You know, we got to do this. They're telling us it's me and you and that's what this quest is about. It's just going to be the two of us. And then when they get there, he has to continually reinforce that with Quentin. Even in the montage, Quentin's crying. Falling apart. And there's Elliot to to console him and talk to him. When Quentin's son is off on his own journey, who's there holding him? 
Elliot. He's the strength. He's the rock. He tells him, if you want to live your life, do it here. Stop complaining. Be in the moment. This is where we're at. We can't leave. So just make the best of it. And I think that's really wise of him. You're not going to outrun it and you're not going to outthink it, which is also what he tells him with the puzzle. But it starts with going through the clock. And surprisingly, he actually has information about that, too. From his horomancy elective, he knows that the clock is chain wound. And being the dork that I am, I had to look into this because I think that grandfather clock is so cool. Yeah. And I didn't know what they meant by that. That's going to be in our studio. So with these older clocks, there were ones that were chain wound. They usually had three chains. One was for the melody that made the sounds when the clock strikes. One was to run the time and one was to power the hour strike and count. And over the course of a week, the weights would drop as they powered the clock slowly until by the end of the week, they were near the bottom and they needed to be wound by pulling the chains to bring them back up and reset it for the next week. God, that's annoying. But beautiful. Let's make it solar. (laughs) We see, you know, this one's got those ram horns on the top. But before they can go through, we, we get the messenger bunnies again. The one comes in and says, at Castle, getting married, need help now, dickwads. Well, hello there, little plot development. Oh, that's definitely Bambi. <laughs> and I so- love these little, I'm sorry, I love these little uh, moments that the show has often. I mean, multiple times per episode that just make me smile and... Uh, I don't know. It makes me feel like a part of it. I'm part of the joke. It's like when you're hanging out with your friends and you have little sayings that would not be funny to anybody else. And it makes the connections, like you were saying, there's so many characters and it's hard to keep them all in play and all relevant. Knowing that we're going to be with Elliot and Quentin for a while, they do a couple callbacks to Margot to remind you of where she's at and what's going on with her. So this is where they put the key in, the clock turns, the center lights up. And when the key pops out again, they realize it's not going to stay open. They have to go through. Another little book fact, this is the way it always worked with the Chatwins. Fillory would call for certain ones of them. Sometimes it was all of them, but more often than not, it was one, two, a couple at a time. And thus, they would see the door, and it would only stay open long enough for whoever those chosen children were to come through, and then it would close itself again. And that was sort of an ongoing issue with Martin because as he got older, Fillory stopped letting him in as often, and he had to try to figure out a way to get through that portal. It was kind of an interesting piece of the books. When Elliot and Quentin walk through to Fillory, hoping it was the right choice because the others can't come with them, they instantly feel the magic. Oh, that had me psyched. I love the way Hell Appleman acted that scene out. You know, his arms wide open. He could feel the power there. Yeah. And again, they played with light. I mean, they're in real life, they're probably in regular woods, right? But the way they had the light sprinkle in, it just felt so magical. And how White Spire in the distance looks so white, almost like it's glowing. And this is when they realize they're in the process of constructing the North Spire, which was built decades before the Chatwins arrived. And that means they're in Fillory in the past. Another twist that I did not see coming. <laughs> And that just made it so much more interesting, didn't it? Absolutely. It also makes Q start to think about the fact that in the Fillory books, Jane wanted to try the mosaic, but she got there too late. Someone had already solved it first. So Q wonders if this was in fact them. This is how it was meant to be, that they would go into the past and solve it. They arrive at a hut in front of the mosaic where there's an old man out front 
And he tells them, it's all yours, but it's a waste of time. So this might be my imagination taking over, but do you think that old man, because he seemed very disgruntled and a waste of your time, like it really affected him. Do you think he was young when he tried to, when he first tried to? Absolutely. I thought the same thing. He wouldn't say it's a waste of your time if he hadn't been there a while. Yeah. And that cottage is there for a reason because Mm -hmm. you're going to be here so long, you're going to need a place to sleep. (laughs) Yep. Many others have probably tried and failed. And some of them, I'm sure, going at it the same way Q is, we're going to logic this, right? There's only a certain amount of solutions until he realizes that certain amount has a shit ton of zeros at the end of it. Can I say we had a whole storyline with these two in this one spot, but it felt so warm. The cottage and the way they dress it up once he has a woman in his life. See, like the cottage looked really nice once the woman was there. I wanted to be there. I I could spend my whole life there. Yeah, and I think they did a good job of showing that they sort of became increasingly connected to it and tied to it over time. As you said, the cottage starts to look more homelike. After a certain point in time, you see the two of them wearing Florian garb. Mm-hmm. They're no longer in their earth clothes. They're settling down and kind of accepting realistically and symbolically that they're going to be here a while. But I also thought it was funny how ironic They were so excited about being back in Fillory. There's finally magic that they've been missing forever and ever. And yet magic's not going to help them solve this problem. So yet again, magic is not what they're always hoping it to be. But weren't you a little surprised, despite the fact that magic can't help me fix the problem I'm working on? If I have it back for the first time ever, I'm going to be using it for everything. I thought we were going to see them just doing everyday magic because, yes, we have magic back, you know? Well, they probably did. We just didn't see that. I'm going to pretend that. In their storyline, they used magic (laughs) for, you know, the... I mean, obviously, they lived their life there. It wasn't just staring at that mosaic. Right. They had babies. they They had a baby. They had a life. And this was something that they did kind of like going to work every day. So I'm going to put in my imagination that they did. They did utilize magic. That's your mental canon. Yeah. I agree, but wouldn't it have been a great opportunity for us viewers who are missing seeing magic on the Magician's TV show for so long to give us a little? Maybe, but that wasn't the, I guess that wasn't the point of this plot. No, for sure. They realize after going through all of this stuff that that's not the point. And I know they don't come to until the very end that the solution of solving the puzzle is to live the beauty of life, experience the beauty of life to the fullest extent that I think it takes Elliot having completed his life and dying, so it seems. And Quentin, I think what he was doing was digging a grave for him, finding that tile that you've completed that circle and now you have access to the missing piece. What it gives you. But on a subconscious level, I do think Elliot kind of realized that early on. And that's what he was showing. We still have to enjoy this. We still have to live our lives. Let's be here. Let's not overthink it, which mm. is what he tells Elliot when he kisses him for the first time. Yep. Dude, just go with Save it. Save the overthinking for the mosaic. He is doing what the puzzle wants him to do. So, you know, I do think that he kind of came to that. Yeah. And I want to reiterate what you just said. The beauty of life, which is the mosaic, right? That's the puzzle. No matter what you do, you not, you're not going to understand the beauty of life till you've fully lived it. And that's exactly what Fillory and the mosaic allowed them to do. 
And that's something Quentin is never able to do. Yeah. He's always overthinking everything and thinking, if only there was something better. When he was young and he read the Fillory and Further books, he wanted magic in the worst way. And then he gets to break bills and sees magic's not all that. And I'm still in the real world. I have to go to Fillory. Then he gets to Fillory and there's problems <laughs> there too. For somebody like Quentin, it's never good enough because he doesn't know how to be there and just live. Yeah. So it was, I think, really important for a character moment, too, for Elliot to show him that. So, I mean, quickly we can say we see this montage of the passage of time, of their lifetime. First at 14 days. And I was like, oh, it's been 14 days already. <laughs> where they're taking turns, trying the combinations, writing them down. I love the way they wrote them down. They, like, painted it out. Yeah. That reminded me of you. That's what you would do. Like little maps. Yeah. Elliot says, can you imagine Margot putting up with this tedium? She'd have blown it up on day two. <laughs> he also makes this great comment. This is the eternal argument, right? Realism versus abstract expressionism. And that's everything we were just talking about. Yeah. It's not realism. No. As Quentin is saying, let's figure out the factorials. The it's, pattern. Yeah. <laughs> it's the abstract concept of living your life. That's beautiful in its own. Mm-hmm. At the end of that is where Ariel appears, this woman with the fruit, and her helper, Lunk. What a name. Lunk. <laughs> Lunk the hunk. Fast forward one year, it's their first anniversary. And I was like, oh my God, it's been a year. That's when Quentin kisses Elliot. Quentin being very awkward mm -hmm. in that, but Elliot really embracing it. It felt natural for Elliot. And let's not forget that this isn't Q and Elliot's first time. Remember the little threesome? Yeah. With Margot? With them and Margot. And I have a feeling... Throughout all of those time loops, the Quentin Elliot thing has happened often. Next, Ariel turns up one day without Lunk, and that's when her and Q get together. And that's when we saw, that was the first scene where we saw them in Florian clothing, and they started to get really comfortable with it. And that's when it started feeling like home for me as well. Mm -hmm. It's so weird, and this is might make people think I'm a weirdo. I watched it three times, and every time those scenes felt more and more comfortable to me. Like, that was my home as well. Well, they captured the magic of Fillory that normally we don't get to see because we're so caught up in these adventures and problems, but it is, in some ways, a beautiful place. Oh, for sure. In some if ways. If you're able to just live your life. Well, in many ways. You know, they, they often talk about the fact that, sure, there's magic, but there's also danger, there's armies warring with each other, there's creatures that want to kill you, <laughs> there's problems, just like in every world. It's not, as Quentin once imagined it, this perfect, beautiful place. Yeah, well, isn't that what people ask you who have never been in New York? Like, you go to New York, you live there? Mm -hmm. Isn't it dangerous there? There's people that want to kill you. Yeah. The subway? <laughs> there's all those gangs and, you know. So Exactly. But this is one of the few times that we get to kind of slow down and see what's good about it. So I agree. And I think they probably intentionally tried to create those scenes to make you feel that way. Yeah. We fast forward again to Ariel and Quentin's child together and then all of them living together as a family, working every day on the puzzle. Yeah. And th this really blew me away. I was like, oh, my God, now they have a kid. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the cottage, it looks so pretty. The decorative sh shutters that are there that are hand-painted, though your style with the mm. little the swirls and the flowers, I was like, she definitely did that. Yeah. Right? And now there's that red awning, and the roof is rebuilt. There's it's flowers so hanging over things. Yeah, and, like, seating areas. It's very beautiful. 
It's kind of a, a representative of the blossoming of the life happening inside That's of it. That's right. Yeah, the beauty of their life that they're finally now living and embracing. It's not on the puzzle. It's there all around them. Yeah. I had that shock too because two seconds later now the kid is an adult and that oh. really shows you the time he's leaving. Quentin tells him to come visit soon. So I'm just going to say this here. Are we ever going to see that kid or the grandkids that Quentin talks about later or because this is a closed loop, do they just exist in an alternate reality somewhere? Well, this is a good question. One, as a plot twist next season or the end of this season, it'd be really amazing if they're in trouble in Fillory and who comes to rescue them, their children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they sat on that long enough where we, we would recognize them and it would mean as much, but it still would be inspiring. And then closed loop. Right. Does that break too many rules? Because mm-hmm. yeah. by the end, they kind of say, well, we never have to live that life. It exists on some alternate plane, some yeah. alternate reality somewhere that is not our time loop. So, you know, you would think, how is that possible? But they got there in the first place to yep. a fillery in the past that shouldn't be possible. Well, yeah, I want to move forward on that closed loop, but let's wait till we meet Jane again mm-hmm. to, t- to discuss that. But this is when we start seeing them getting older. Physically, you can see it, right? And this, right away, because I'm a weirdo, it reminded me of Doctor Who. The episode with Amy Pond called The Girl Who Waited. And I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. It's the 10th episode of the sixth series. Amy accidentally gets separated from the Doctor and Rory. But when they try to rescue her, and it's like moments later when they come back to try to rescue her, They're 36 years later in the timeline, and she's had a whole entire life that we missed. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, that reminded me of that. And what was crazy, I feel like this show knows my brain so well. Later on, Margot goes ahead and says, So some kind of timey-wimey magic going on here. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's like they're pulling from my brain. Of course they know. They love making these kinds of references because they know what we're all into. Yeah, but it more closely relates to Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because they literally lived almost an entire lifetime before they went back to the wardrobe and became kids again. The book that Lev Grossman talks about all the time, he intentionally was writing about and playing with when he told this story. What is the real story behind the Chronicles of Narnia? So, yeah, we see Quentin and Elliot are old men now. They have white hair. Elliot wonders if Q ever thinks about their friends from the life before. And we get the feeling this is how they refer to it. Maybe they don't talk about it a lot. Oh, that's from that other life. You know, we can't even think about that because we're here now. Do you think about them? I dream about them sometimes. Oh, it was so beautiful, so touching, and so sad at the same time. I I had such a conflict of emotions that whole time. And my goodness, the the writers, the producers, so efficient. Every line they put in here, every shot. Delicate and also translates a lifetime. This one dialogue between them shows you how they must have been interacting and thinking about their life before the entire time. It gives us just enough information that we can infer the rest. Because this is really hard in a montage like that. It could have gotten weird and brought up so many more questions and what's going on here. But they really covered it. They did. They took their time. That's what's beautiful about it. I watched this interview with Q in his old man outfit. And he was saying he went to sleep at 1230, woke up at 130 to get to 
the set at two to do five hours of makeup oh. to go right to set and sit there with that all day long. So worth it though. It looked For sure. great. The two of them looked believably old men. And what they did was pretty amazing is the makeup artists, and I have such a respect for makeup artists because we watch face off mm. and we see how much that goes into it. We took 3D design in college, so we learned about how to design in three dimensions, not just like a paper, mm-hmm. which is 2D. So much goes into it. What they tried to do to figure out what they would look like as old older people is they took the normal lines that you get, like when you smile, those are going to become your wrinkle lines. Extended and deepened so, them. Yeah, so they elaborated all that, mm. and that's how they came up with the, the way they look. Make your nose a little longer, your ears a little bigger. Yep. Elliot's nose was booming. That's what happens, though. <laughs> yep. Keeps growing. Those don't, those don't stop growing. <laughs> and yeah, this last scene, they are really old. Quentin finds Elliot asleep in the chair and realizes he died. Oh, so sad. Oh, my goodness. And what he must be thinking now, because he doesn't know it's about to be over. He's going to have to finish this thing alone. But he starts digging that hole and he finds the missing tile, the golden one in the dirt. And when he places it in the center of the mosaic... The ground starts glowing. It almost looks like lava underneath. That was so cool. And it just ejects the key from the sand. Okay, at this point, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God, how pissed is he going to be thinking the one piece we were missing (laughs) was just a couple feet away underground. It's like when you're doing a puzzle and you realize one's been missing from the box. (laughs) And that was a, a, you wasted so much time trying to fix that part. If you only knew. That's so funny. I was saying to myself, how did they do it so many times and not know a piece was missing? And then I'm like, stupid, Christina. It's not what this is about. No, it's not. Exactly. (laughs) So as you go along with what we just said, that piece wouldn't represent itself or um, that piece wouldn't present itself until they lived a full, beautiful life. Exactly. The beauty in life. It gives you the key to the key. And as soon as Quentin lifts it, young Jane appears saying, did you just solve the mosaic? And oh, Quentin. With a friend. Solved it together. Jason, you know, he was always a good actor, but he never like blew me away. This, this episode, episode blew me away. Him and Elliot. I agree. And that's what I mean. God, the relationship is just so deep mm-hmm. and intense. And I love that from the books. And I think we needed to push Quentin to that and push Jason Ralph to, to get that out of his performance. I mean, it was emotionally very touching. And especially the anguish on his face when he sees Jane and he knows what she's talking about, what she's asking for. It kind of took us a while to get this. Oh. Just, he's such a good person. He doesn't want to tell her what I would tell her. You have got to be kidding me. Yeah. You're not getting your hands on this key, little girl. I was a young man when I started trying to get this you key. You could sit here and spend your whole life trying to fix it now. But he knows... On some level, from the minute that he sees her with that watch, that she needs it. He starts putting the pieces together. This is how she defeats the beast. She needs to create those time loops, and she needs the key to do it. Let me ask you this. In the book that he read, he read that Jane went to the mosaic and someone already had solved it. Did he read that there was an old man that gave her the key? No, right? I guess not, but they did know from the time they thought about that story, this has got to be us, and we are the ones that solve it. But not that part. No, that's what makes it so hard. In the books that you read, 
do they explain Jane's storyline? Like, how does how does she get the key if he if Q's not there to give it to her? They don't talk about any of this. Mm, I wonder. The whole mosaic thing is um, TV. Okay. That, which is beautiful. I like it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it, it must feel to Quentin in the moment like giving up all that. They worked so hard for this, and now he has to give the key away, but he knows it's a piece of the larger puzzle that affects their lives, affects everyone else's life. This is what they're meant to do, is close the loop and finish the circle. Oh, this is dreadful. You see, sorry, I don't mean to be rude. My name is... Jane Chatwood. Do I know you? You do look... Uh, just one of those faces. The dwarves, they built me this watch. It's terribly important. But I need that key to power it. And so he gives it to her. I have to say, in this episode in particular, Jane as a child and as an adult later with Margot, brat. Mm-hmm. Right? That was a little bit of her character. It was? Yeah. Okay. She was very smart, sort of very precocious and knew it. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it comes across as a bit bratty at times. I love the way especially young Jane is acting that part. And she's wearing a necklace that has a key on it. And it's obvious that it's not the same keys, but I wonder if that's going to be something in the future. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I thought the same. Oh, man, and that wrapped up the best scenes in the show ever. And uh, I could watch that over and over again. Very beautifully done. I agree, although we had some very dramatic and interesting things happening at White Spire that we need to discuss. It starts with Tick giving Margot the substance he scraped from the walls that the fairies are allergic to, which took him seven hours to collect, but Margot says it's not enough. I really like the way Tick and Margot bounce off of each other, way better than the way Tick and Elliot bounce off of each other. They seem to meld much better. And let's go back to the women being in power. I love the fact that instead of Margot saying, man up, she says, ovary up, Tick. I actually wanted to put them up together as another pairing for MVM this episode, just because I agree. I love the dynamic happening there. Before they can finish that conversation, though, the fairy queen pops up to bring Margot to the throne room, where there are people gathered and setting up for a celebration. She says a leader like Margot needs alliances to grow her kingdom, which is when we realize she has arranged a marriage for her. Oh my goodness. This queen is unbelievable. She wants her to marry into the tribe of the Floating Mountain. We discussed their army before, which will become Margot's if she does marry into them. And besides, the fairy queen says she has no choice in this. Being a queen means she marries for her kingdom. And she gives Margot an eye patch for her wedding. Yeah. This little white bling eye patch. Which, when she first gives it to her, it kind of looks raggedy, like the fairies do. But later on when she's wearing it, I think she kind of adds to it, makes it nicer. But would you trust that eye patch? Is it enchanted? What's going on with that eye patch? I did because I took it as another sign of what we've already thought, that the queen is not intentionally fucking with Margot or trying to be mean to her. She's trying to make her a better queen and make their kingdom stronger. This is just another thing in that line. She believes that they need more alliances, a stronger army, and this is the way to get it done. Speaking of the magicians never dropping any of their plot lines, we get Prince S of Loria coming back. You were wondering where they were. I was. And he wonders why Margot's going to marry the tribe. They don't have many resources after all. 
and he's hoping it doesn't put them on opposite sides, to which Margot says their alliance hasn't changed, and S says he hopes she'll reconsider the marriage. This just reminds me, Loria was never any help, ever. <laughs> no, really. Just, Jesus. They were always a problem, but they're kind of funny. I really like that whole thing that happens between our rulers and them. Yeah. And they had to set that up, right? Because we're going to presume, along with Margot, or at least they want us to, that S is the one who tries to assassinate the prince later. We also see that the groom's wedding party has arrived and set up camp in Margot's favorite hallway, so she can't get any more of the substance. She's going to have to figure out another way to go up against the fairy queen. And come on, they didn't set up there on accident. Yet again, the fairy queen knows everything. She came in right at the end of that conversation with Tick and clearly told them to put up camp there. Yeah, of course. She knows what's going on. I don't know why Margot would think know, otherwise. Doesn't she get it by now? But I don't think she knows what else to do. She's really alone mm-hmm. on all of this. And I'm becoming increasingly frustrated with our other crew members that they've left her in this situation. I know that they have their own stuff that they're dealing with, but it's starting to feel a little like the penny thing. You know, yep. just leave Margot back at the castle. <laughs> She'll take care of the whole kingdom. Next, Margot's introduced to... The Stone Queen. She tells her she wants to postpone the nuptials, but the Stone Queen offers a compromise. She will forego superstition to put the bride's fears at ease and allow Margot to meet her son before the ceremony. Uh, I think this is the time to say that I loved Summer's acting this whole episode. It was beautiful. She went from sassy to bitchy to horror movie later on, which we'll go through, to like there's so many emotions that she went through but also at the same time still feeling strong to me yeah she was able to go through that range Mm -hmm. without appearing weak or like she was falling apart yeah and still have Margot in her and when the stone queen brings up a pale someone who arranged this i started to think my mind started going okay so it was the fairy queen obviously does she have something over them did they make a deal does she do they owe her something too Or, this is me still trying to figure out what the hell she's up to, right? Has she promised them that their island will be floating again and magic will be back if they just listen to her? Because I still have this part of me who wants her to be good in the end. I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't think we're getting those inklings for no reason. I think they're definitely putting that stuff in there to give us hints that she's not all bad. There's a point to her madness. Yeah, but that wouldn't necessarily be a hint that way. I think I'm aiming it that way because I want to, because it could be that they owe her something too. Yeah, or just that they're looking for the increases that a marriage alliance will offer as well, which happened often in all of these stories, Mm -hmm. right? Fillory is incredibly powerful. Most of these other countries probably would want to marry into it. But I think part of what you're getting was in the performance by Dina Meyer. And she did an excellent job with that. There was something emotionally going on underneath. Like she was also... Being a strong woman that was kind of forced into something maybe that wasn't entirely her decision, and especially her reaction when her son gets murdered at the wedding, she's devastated, yet she knows this has to continue on, and she kind of holds herself together. That's a woman with something else happening Mm, there. The look on her face is like, yeah, she just has to take it. Yeah. She has to take it because something behind this and why else right wouldn't wouldn't she stand up and say you're not my son you're crazy yeah (laughs) you just murdered my other son get out of here i wonder if that son was raised in the fairyland 
Oh, that's a good thought. Hmm. I mean, I'm pulling that right out of my the way ass. Frey was. It might not make sense because we were talking about how important women were. Mm. That's why they wanted a daughter. True. And I don't think they'd like him. No. Let's be honest. Who likes okay, him? Okay, so yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Forget I said that, guys. Who likes Fomar? And speaking of, his introduction was a little weird. It felt a little forced to me. I say bullshit. You said that to me earlier, and I disagree with you. I'm sorry. They they bring him on screen for this one joke, which I was like, oh, would they really bring him in just to make this joke about I think mistaken they were, identity? No, I think it was the juxtaposition for when, <clears throat> when Micah comes in. And then you're like, oh, there we go. Oh, sure. But he actually gets a name. Now, there's characters we've had on this show for a while that don't get a name. The fact that they gave him one tipped me off right away. He was going to be more important later on. And it felt a little shoved in there like, I see what you're up to. Call bullshit. Um, I don't agree with you. But I think part of this is I just don't like the whole storyline that well, happens he, with him. Well, he's a little prick. He reminds right. me of King Joffrey. Yes. Good analogy. Except I love to hate King Joffrey. Yeah. Uh, Prince Joffrey. Sorry. I know that uh, we're not. No, he was king. Oh, Prince, then King. Yeah. Maybe I'll always think of him as Prince because he's a bratty little jerk. Um, but I know we're not there yet. I haven't had enough screen time with Fomar. He doesn't feel yet like a love to hate him. He no. just annoys There's me. There's nothing to love about him. He killed his brother. <laughs> and moments later, we're introduced to the real Prince, Prince Micah, who... Okay. Did we have to take him away so soon? I know. I was going to ask you, are you going to let the Clatchers know how smitten you were? <laughs> My God, she freaked out. I, was, I felt a little jealous. She was like... He's hot. Yeah. Who is this actor in real life, by and, the way? And I wrote down, let me see if I can find it. I wrote down exactly what you said. <laughs> <laughs> you did? You Okay, so you basically said, and I'm not going to try to do it in your mm-hmm. voice, like, oh my God, he's hot. And I was like, okay. And then you said, and I know you like someone when you say this, 20 bucks says he's gay. Uh, <laughs> Meaning he's too good to be true. Exactly. And you would never be able to have him. Exactly. <laughs> Those are exactly my thoughts. But I think perhaps in this circumstance, we were meant to think that too. They Maybe. Were, they were playing that up, that he was too good to be true. Yeah. Not only was he hot, he was sweet to mm-hmm. Margot. He had these sassy, sexy little comments very smooth. Such as, may our great mountain find its way to your fertile valley. <laughs> what well, was weird, though, the second and third time I watched that, I was paying close attention. He looks at his mom after, which was kind of weird. She probably told him, you've got to land this. Right, yeah. yeah. Turn on the charm. She needs to love you. And it worked. He, he even goes on to say, their women are leaders. They're the cave full of wisdom. The men are the boulders full of strength. And this was a great opportunity for Margot to be Margot. The way she shushes Tick and you could see how into it. She's like, all right, I'm digging this. She's like, no, don't ruin his illusions. Yes, it is like that everywhere, sweetheart. That was perfect. They go to get ready for the ceremony together. And this is when the arrow shot through the window and narrowly misses them. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and this is when I got to see him with his shirt off. (laughs) Well, that too. (laughs) And damn this show, you know, now they're just going to take him away. Well, Margot sees that the fletching looks like that of an arrow of Loria. 
So she goes and accuses S of trying to kill Micah, but he denies it. And I actually believed it right yeah, off the too. bat. Of course. I, I said, too. you know, he's being set up clearly. He would never do that. So I, I was a little bit uh, put off by the fact that Margot didn't pick up on that. But I guess she has so many things going on. Yeah. She's smitten with this prince. And let's not forget how she was arranged to marry S, mm-hmm. you know? But more importantly, when they show that she's wearing the dress, her tattoo's still there. Yes. And I think that's something we have to put in our minds. Clatchers, remember this. And Christina, remind them what that tattoo is. Yeah, I think you're right that they showed us that for a reason. In case you forgot, these were the tattoos that they all got when they had the caco demons placed inside of them in season two. They were put into those traps inside of their back, and it was kind of marked and sealed with a tattoo. And we saw with everyone else, once they released their caco demon to help save them, the tattoo disappeared, meaning that Margot still has hers. Yeah, it's a one-shot kill. Exactly. Remember that? I remember I was so pissed off how they most of them messed up. And when, like, they shot their load too quick? Yeah, it didn't really work the way it was supposed to. (laughs) But it was a point that I think we overlooked because I just assumed since they were all utilizing them, they were all gone now. Yeah. That's definitely going to have to come into play soon. It's got to, right? I mean, they showed the tattoo. They took the time to paint it again. She's going to use it. Wear that dress. Yeah. Is she going to use it on the fairy queen? Could it work on the fairy queen? They don't... It's a creature, so the magic is still going to work with that. They said mm. that they could conquer almost anything. What was the word? They had to say something to make it go. Their name or something? I think they each had a special thing, yeah, because for Quentin, it was something like Quentin says go free. Okay, yeah, something like that. So that's definitely a point to keep yeah. in mind for the future. But this is the part where Margot played the sassy, the way she was saying, uh, take him away and... Make it uh, hurt a little make or, it hurt or something. Make a little... <laughs> Very sexy. <laughs> yep. She locks him up. And then we go to the wedding ceremony presided over by Tick. Which, oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. I just love it. Rizwan Manji is amazing. He joins them in a rope of two knots. But when Micah says, I do, an axe descends from the ceiling and decapitates him. He wasn't even able to finish, I do. This is where it got a little Gruesome. wonky. The axe coming down out of the ceiling was like... Rrr-rr. Felt a little cheap horror show movie I think that was on purpose. You think they wanted that? For sure, because the way they splattered the blood on Margot, mm-hmm. it was definitely like a horror movie. I think that was on purpose. Okay, I didn't love that. Didn't I loved love... her acting during that, though. Her acting was phenomenal. I mean, yeah. she was... I felt her pain. Truly distraught, looking around. Are you all crazy? Doesn't anybody else notice that this is nuts? He just murdered his brother. But he, he, he fucking killed him. He murdered his own brother! That does not affect my duty. I people crazy. Marry him. Now. And it's just dead silent in there. The queen's not saying anything. And again, that was the point when you saw the queen's face where I said, the fairy queen's got, really got something over her. And Tick must also know there's not really a choice in the matter here. He immediately jumps to, oh, yes, that's custom. If something happens, the next in line has to step in. Well, as soon as Prince Fuckface comes in, right away his first two words, like, as order of blah, 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 I'm next. And I was like, oh. And, guys, if you watch it again, watch his eyes. He's looking at her so creepily. 
her as in Margot. It's just, oh. It totally creeps me. And the whole thing about them needing to consummate later. And then when they come back with Elliot and Quentin, she says that to them and nobody says anything. They're like, all right, great. Go take a nap because you're going to need your rest for that. They're handling every other very difficult topic with women. Yeah. And including those that surround sexuality and rape and other things, I think very well. This one gave me the creeps and it didn't feel like it was being handled well. And it's being handled perfectly. They want you to feel the creeps. That's on purpose. And they want me to look at the other characters and say, why are they no, they don't know. Going along with it like that? She kind of gave them the, like, over... She kind of gave them the passive explanation. They don't know... In my head, they don't know exactly what happened yet. Okay, in my head, they, they knew enough that the kid's trying to sleep with her and... You're supposed to feel this uneasy. Okay. Just, just think about it that way. Okay. Don't love it. Be, well, yeah. That's <laughs> what's beautiful about it, because it means so much more now, because of how the, the feeling you get, the visceral feeling thinking of that kid. Yeah, visceral. And I'm genuinely afraid for Margot for the first time on this show, despite everything that she's, she's been through. Demon. Maybe she uses it on him. <laughs> oh, that would there be we go. great. Okay. <laughs> I feel better. The caco demon comes for Fomar in his sleep. And maybe they make one of those crude jokes and she calls it a caco demon. Because he she, like gets naked and they're trying to have sex and she's like... Yeah, where she said that uh, if he breaks the, the earth custom, his oh, manhood's yeah. going to dry up yeah. and fall off. So we never know. I told you, Fomar. <laughs> and uh, we should bring up the fact, I think it was last episode that started happening, that they're just letting the F word fly now. Sci-fi's like, forget it. This show's getting big. Let the F word fly. They love it on Netflix. Let's let it happen. Not just the F word. As many creative oh, yeah. dick wads and dick faces <laughs> and whatever else they can love think it. of. But this is the kind of show, the kind of story. They need that. That's not overkill. They have to do that. Yes. Quick update. Turns out we made a mistake. Margot actually did release her caco demon. When she was under the curse that the Beast put on the throne and paranoid, she released it on Penny, so he had to release his in order for them to fight each other. She no longer has it. Sorry. So we come to find out that she ends up having to marry him. She avoids the consummation at first with this very clever fake Earth tradition of needing to open up all her gifts, which of course is when she finds the envelope with the letter from Q. Back to tugging on the heartstrings, it says, I arranged for this letter to arrive for your wedding far, far in advance. Elliot and I are both dead. Long story, the quest sent us to the past. You should know that we led full, good lives and took the quest as far as we could. Now there's something we need you to do. From, I think it was episode one of this season, we've had Q being the narrator. I love it. And now this reminds me again... I think they should redo the audiobooks for the magicians and have Jason be the narrator for it. I agree. He's really good at narrating. I love him doing that. Yeah. We have always also had this strained kind of relationship between Quentin and Margot. Yeah. And they have very few times where they're able to be emotional with each other, even though it's through a letter that definitely resonated for me here. And as if Margot wasn't going through enough, she now has to feel she's lost them both. And if this doesn't work, whatever she needs to do next, she is really alone in this situation. So she goes to find adult Jane, who tells her she only died on the linear plane, not here in the clock barrens. Here, she managed to create a spot where all moments exist at the same time overlapping. 
a place outside of time. Margot shows her the note from Quentin saying Jane could give her a key, but Jane says she can't give it to her. It's what keeps the clock baron stable. At this point, is that just selfish for her own life? No, because she right away, before Margot starts preaching, says, but I can help you. She already knows, like, there's a key. Same key that you can take. Oh, yes. But is there any other point to the clock barons anymore? Or is it just a place where she can live without aging? Well, one could argue, even though we weren't there for the entire journey, her whole life was to defeat the beast and revolved around this crew. So maybe this is her time to actually enjoy herself for once. Well, yeah, but that's kind of the point was I, I was getting at. By selfish, I mean, is it just about her and being able to live longer, or is there still a functional purpose to oh, the I clock see. barons? Maybe. We don't know yet. Might we still need that again? I think so. Why not? A place outside of time feels pretty valuable. And she's only able to see her because she has the key of truth with her. Right. But again, very bratty. Was it the key <laughs> of truth he gave her, or was it the first door oh, uh, key? <coughs> I'm sorry, it was the illusion. The illusion key, right? I, f- I made this mistake, too, when I was talking to you earlier. It was the, the illusion key, the door. So it bro- broke through that illusion. So she so could get could to the get clock barrel. Yes, I did that mistake again, yeah. It made sense. Actually, I thought about that too. But then I realized she also got back to Earth somehow and must have needed to use that to make a door. Yes. Very interesting conversation that Margot has with Jane where she's kind of spilling it. She needs to talk to somebody mm-hmm. about everything she's gone through. And this is where she tells her she feels like a Florian middle manager. And Jane completely understands what she's saying. She knows what it's like to feel like a supporting character in her own life. But this story is her own. And sure, exactly like you were saying, it must have felt to Jane everything was about stopping Martin and reversing the damage he did. But what about her life? Yes. And this is the point where she gets to live her own life. And she's kind of trying to tell Margot, do that now. Live your own life. Be your own main character. And she does tell her, you're going to be a very powerful queen. Mm -hmm. And she also does help her, as you said, to get to the key that rests with her physical body, buried at Breakbills. So in the next scene, in the moment before Elliot's about to put the key into the clock, Margot comes rushing into the cottage and stops them. She runs up to Elliot and hugs him, crying, saying Mm. she promised she wouldn't do that. But what does she say? Are you looking for this? Uh, the epic Margot type saying. Yeah, that she had to wade through. And the only thing that, that kept grave. her to get through it was to say those. The Are you opening looking for lines. these? Or, yeah. <laughs> She's so happy to see them. She obviously explains to them off screen what happened. As they're sitting there eating snacks and Elliot says, wow, we died. We had a whole life and we died. Oh, good thing we don't have to relive that or something like that. I kept saying to myself, the fairy queen can't get to you. Why don't you just hang out there? Just stay there. You'll be fine. Stay in the physical cottage. But this is the moment, and this is so funny, that they finally, they did turn around again. They knew what I was thinking. I was saying to myself, oh, this is great. But also very sad because they had a family that they're not going to remember. They had a baby. I'm saying they. Because it was Elliot's as well, mm-hmm. if you think about it. Mm-hmm. They had a baby, a whole family, grandchildren, a whole life that they did love. That means something. That means a lot. So much growth and potential they had there. And they're not going to have that. That's sad in its own. 
They answered a bunch of questions. I had some about the time travel. I'm not one of those people that likes to overthink the details. And I agree I'm happy the magicians does not either. I don't need to know the mechanics of the way everything works. Mm -hmm. I just need to know the basics because I did feel confused for a second. Okay, if Margot went back in time, stopped them from ever going into that clock and having this experience, how did that all still play out and bring them to this place? That's the big question. The timey-wimey. When you try to figure out the whole time thing, you're never going to win. But let's try. Well, you gave a very good explanation to me that kind of put it to bed in my mind. Let's see if I can remember what I said. Well, essentially, we saw the time loops before. And we saw that Dean Fogg could remember every single one, and he was there for every single part. So there is a possibility of remembering every single time loop. How you do, I don't recall, or don't, we don't know. But this could be in its own closed time loop, protected, that it won't affect the major timeline as far as the butterfly effect mm-hmm. is concerned. But it is still able to positively affect it via the letter. Right. It, it had that short-term impact while it was operating. Now that they've closed it, it almost goes off in a bubble in this alternate parallel reality where it stops impacting our storyline and our present, a closed time loop. Which is essentially where Jane is, right? Same kind of concept, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not completely closed because in this next scene... Yeah, well, it's not... It's right. It's not completely closed. It is as far as impacting events, but... For our characters who were there and had that experience, it remains on a mental, emotional level for them. I mean, they did still go through it. And Well, can you imagine, Chris, if you and I could live this life, make our mistakes, and also reach our goals and do things like that, get old and die. I'll probably die first. Um, Please let me die first. Uh, And then we could redo it again, but have the knowledge... And the re- remembrance of that, I mean, we'd be better people for that, right? Yeah, and, and your memories that are so much a part of who you are, the things you've been through. This was mm-hmm. a whole Black Mirror episode. Oh, yeah. Are we anything more than the product of our memories of the life we've lived? So I love that they bring all of this up, and hopefully that is enough information for you on time travel to just feel okay about it. To sum up, they did those events. It happened. Margot came back and stopped new present day Elliot and Quentin from going into that so that she could complete the time loop, close it totally. Now it's done off in another bubble reality. But as you said in the next scene, where Margot, Elliot, and Quentin return to White Spire, Quentin finds the letter that he sent her from the past life. While simultaneously, Elliot picks up a peach. They both have their triggers if you want to call it that, for the memory (laughs) that calls it back up and gradually they are able to remember the entire past life. Oh my God, the emotions for me during that scene were so compelling because you see it unfolding in their eyes and in their mannerisms and you can see them getting closer and closer because of them remembering their trials and tribulations during this fillery life. Quentin says you died. Oh. Oh, man. We had a kid. You had a wife. How did we remember? That's how they leave us on the episode. And that's one of my main questions. How 
do they remember mm-hmm. and how will that affect them? Mm-hmm. Very interesting and very beautiful, very poetic, if you ask me. Do you think it has anything to do with the keys? Yeah. The for reason sure. they remember? Well, greater magic key. The, nothing's impossible with that, right? Right. And they might need those memories for something in the quest moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, let's go back to that closed loop. Does that mean that their kids aren't there? What does that mean? I, I it think would be such a great, even if it's not impactful, if when they're in Fillory a couple episodes later, they run into them. I think they could take it either way. They've left it open so that technically they shouldn't be able to come back. But if Elliot and Quentin found a way, if they'd like to bring those characters in later on, they can use an explanation like that to have it happen. So that wraps up this episode. We had a lot of questions. Most of them we went through during the course of things. But to reiterate, why does Julia trust Alice with this transfer of power? What is Alice's real motive and what's going to happen with that next? What was Julia talking about when she said she was researching something Penny told her he saw on the astral plane? Will we continue with this storyline for Katie's struggle and get to see more of that? What will happen with her and Penny now? And is Penny going to the library, in fact? Will the closed time loop remain closed? And how do Quentin and Elliot remember? Will their experiences change the relationship between Elliot and Margot? What will happen with the tribe of the floating mountain that's no longer floating? Will Margot wind up marrying Prince S? That's another question that I had in my mind. They're continuing to have this character linger around now. So I wonder where they're going with that. What are Fen and Frey up to in this city? (laughs) And do we get to keep the physical cottage since we don't have a deed to it? And I have another question that's probably your question, which you asked last week. Where is Josh? Yes, (laughs) very true. And now it's time to move on to our favorite parts, the ratings and MVMs and Clatcher's comments. But before we do, we wanted to remind you that there's an easy way to help us out. If you're not going to be a Patreon member, there's something that you can do that you already do, chances are. And it doesn't cost you any more money. It just makes this big conglomerate give us some money. And that's by going to coffeeclatchcrew.com and clicking on our Amazon link, which brings you right to Amazon, and you do your shopping for Valentine's Day. And while you're there, buy yourself something. You deserve it. And everything you buy doesn't cost you any more money. It just says to Amazon, hey, the Coffee Clatch crew sent me here, and it'd be cool if you, Amazon, just threw them a couple of bucks. So that's easy. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com. First of all, it's a really nice website. Check it out. You can see things about us. You can see things about your favorite shows that we do. And then go ahead and click on that Amazon link. You only have to do it once. Then you can bookmark it. And every time you come back to it, it'll automatically tell them that you're coming from the Coffee Clatch crew. Really easy. Do it while we're talking and then you're done. Yeah. A little worried about the bookmarking thing because we got an email from Amazon. Okay. It wasn't to us. It was like an Amazon to everyone saying like they don't dig the bookmarks thing. I of guess they're catching they on. Don't. It's too easy. <laughs> well, why do we want to help Amazon for goodness sake? Shit. No, I'm kidding. It made us think of this because Anastasia is a longtime listener and she didn't even realize about the Amazon thing. Perhaps we don't bring it up enough. So we just wanted to let you guys know that's an option out there. Jason. Yes. On a scale of one to ten keys, what do you give episode five, A Life in the Day? Oh my God, I'm going 9.6 keys. I love this episode. One of my favorites. 
Now, I didn't grade it as high as our season opener, and that's purposefully because it had that season opener feel to it, the excitement and all that. And also, if I keep going high, there's nowhere to grow, so I'm going to stick with 9.6 for all the reasons you guys already know. There's so much magic. There's so much beauty. There's so much about life there. And it's just so well written, so well acted. I watched it three times. I'll watch it three times more. I agree. And I went up so high on my last episode. I have to keep going because I liked this one even more. So I'm going to give it a 9.7 keys. But note to magicians, um, you know, don't forget about Penny. He's one of the best characters there. So bring him back, please. Oh, yeah. After that, the last episode, 9.5, was the high for me. This is hilarious. I'm normally the higher grader for you than you in almost every show, including this one. The last two episodes, I was 9.4. You were (laughs) 9.5. This one, I was 9.6. You were 9.7. I think you're just trying to top me at this point. No, I just really liked these episodes. I felt very strongly about it. I went down to an 8 for episode 2 because I was not too high on it. I think they're doing a wonderful job. I totally agree with you. IMDb agrees as well. They were at a 9.2 for Be the Penny and a 9.5 for this one. Such a good episode. Let's talk MVM, Most Valuable Magician. So like every week, we go on our Twitter page, at CKC Podcast, and we ask our Clatchers, after watching this episode, who is your MVM? And we gave you four choices, and you guys delivered. We offered number one, Elliot and Quentin. Number two, Alice and Julia. Number three, Margot, And number four, Jane Chadwin. Coming in at last place with 0%, (laughs) Alice and Julia. It was a tough one because even though their storyline was very pivotal and it's the catapult to the next plot points, when you're surrounded by this kind of episode, chances are you're going to get 0%. And they didn't do a heck of a lot. There was a lot happening emotionally between the two of them, character dynamics for Julia personally. Persephone, I mean, there's some answers there. Right, but they didn't advance much of the storyline forward. And Julia, who a lot of this is happening to, kind of still hasn't stepped up into any of that. Mm -hmm. And so it still feels more like a conflict than a plot point. Yes, but once we go into the spoiler part, uh, I think this storyline is really going to take off. It will, eventually. Absolutely. Coming in third place with 7% was Jane Chatwin. Hashtag bratty. Yeah, that's why she got so few. We put her up there because... She was pivotal. She had some moments. She told our characters where to find the key. She also had some good advice for Margot. Speaking of Margot, coming in at third place, 23%. Listen, any other episode, she would have won because she was brilliant in this. Summer kicked ass. It was also an episode, though, where she sort of just had to endure and Mm -hmm. keep going. She didn't have a lot of agency in her own narrative this time. By the end, she did have that amazing scene where she was able to go to Jane and get the key and come back to Elliot and Quentin. That was huge. But we have the final scene where she has to return. She even says it to them. Well, you guys got to escape your time loop, but I'm still stuck here in mine. Amen for that. And at first place, it is so hard to top this. How are you going to vote for anyone else this episode with 70% Elliot and Quentin? Do we even need to explain why? When you pair them up together, especially with the kind of storyline they had this time, it's, it was just really exciting to watch. And I think a lot of our Clatchers felt the same way. Absolutely. Melly said, I'm voting for Elliot and Quentin. I mean, spending a lifetime to pursue a quest and help their friends, that's worth an MVM. 
Also, their story of aging, loving each other, and having a family moved me. So beautiful. Brian said, honestly, I didn't get a chance to vote and would have voted for Elliot and Q as the others didn't really seem that different than normal. It was interesting to have Jane there to tie everything together full circle, though. Agreed. So, Christina, who is your MBM? Well, it's an easy one. It's got to be Elliot and Q. Same here. Oh, dear. Do you know what this means? That I have Elliot three you times? You are maxed on Elliot. Yeah. I don't know how many times I have to say to you, that's your, <laughs> that's your rule, and you're, I'm not following you're it. You're not allowed to vote for him anymore this season. If you guys don't know by now, Christina made this law that we can only vote for an MVM, the same one, three times in one season. I had to push it to three times because you were doing so many yep. pennies last time. You're going to have to push it further. Look, their scenes were beautiful. They were touching. They were inspirational. I will never forget those scenes. And it's so reminiscent of life. As I get older, I'm realizing how quick it goes by. And that showed it in a nutshell. If you could do my whole life in a montage, it'd be very, well, I was going to say very similar to that. But I mean, like, the feelings would be very similar to that. Let's move on to our Clatcher's comments. Patrick wrote to us on Twitter from at PJ Feeney. What makes this show so amazing is its ability to be dark, hilarious, real, exciting, and magical while connecting so well with the audience and evoking such a wide range of emotions. Amen. I mean, that's what I've been saying this whole episode. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Very well said. He also wrote, this was such a good episode. I've gotten teary-eyed at a few movies. But this is the first time a TV show brought on real tears. I'd say that too. I was trying to be cool and say like it gave me emotions. But yeah, it brought on some tears. All the feels, as they say. <laughs> All the feels. At Pender underscore Derek wrote, amazing uses of time travel. I'm usually very skeptical that a show can pull it off and not severely screw the timelines or make it seem TV fake. Killing Elliot and Q was brilliant. Writing the letter and saving them at the clock was a perfect way to close the loop. And we also have Melly, who is mirroring what we've been saying as well. I love how everyone's mirroring what we're saying. That means we're on the right path. Elliot must have felt both trapped and free in his life. Stuck on the mosaic quest, yet no longer ruling Fillory and feeling the heavy responsibilities. And that kiss. Yeah, we agree with you on that. Yeah, and I was thinking that too. Elliot has gone through so much and, and so many different pains. Uh, they all have. I can say that about every character. But this was a little bit of a reprieve for him, even though it was a, a def- separate, separate time loop. I think the fact that they remember it now will resonate and give them more emotional power or mental power to get through things. Yeah. He had that ability to just live life for once, and now he can hold on to that forever. Yeah. And finally, at J.C. Robbins DFW wrote, At CKC Podcast, The Magicians is awesome. So many stories went forward. Enough for a full lifetime for E and Q. And answers for Julia and Katie. And signs of great strength for Margot. My MBM is E for knowing they needed to step into the clock and pushing forward to solve the puzzle. We also have an email from Eric who's been listening since last year. But this is the first season he's watching the shows and then listening to our podcast right afterwards. So welcome, Eric. He says, last night I watched the fifth episode and wow, Elliot and Quentin lived an entire life together trying to figure out a mosaic puzzle. And they seem to remember it after the time correction. Wild. The biggest thing to come out of the episode, however, is that Julia now possesses godlike powers. Or is she actually a minor goddess now? Our Lady Underground said she had the seed or power of Reynard even though she isn't him, 
and he doesn't have any influence on her. She is imbued with the power he had. Did I understand that correctly? And finally, his MVM for the week is Quentin. After all was said and done, he found the key which he was able to give to the Watcherwoman and make the time loop thing possible. Keep up the fantastic work. And that's an amazing thought. Does that make Julia a minor god now? That puts things in a different perspective. For sure. And if that's the case, even if they try to transfer the power, maybe it's impossible. Well, and like we were saying before, if it's going to elevate you to that status, I don't think that Persephone would want that going to Alice after everything that happened with Reynard. No, not at all. It would be like a repeat of that situation <laughs> with those problems. Thank you, Eric. And thank you to everyone who emailed us and contacted us on Twitter. Remember, if you haven't done so yet, you can follow us at CKC Podcast on Twitter, or you can email us contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. So all that's left is to talk about our upcoming episode. If you are afraid of spoilers, we'll see you next time when we review episode six, Do You Like Teeth? For everyone still here, we got the synopsis, which says Quentin faces his most formidable foe yet as Julia helps Alice with a dangerous endeavor. Oh boy. Do you like teeth? That means we got some dragons. The dragons are back. Yeah. And we have an introduction to a new character we see, Poppy. Yeah, that should be interesting. And with that is a new actress that a lot of people will know, but we'll keep that till next week. And if you've read the books, you'll be familiar with this character. After next week, let me know if you think this is a good translation. Who is Quentin's most formidable foe yet? That sounds really intense. And I wonder Very if he's much. doing this alone because it doesn't give him a pairing character. No. We're not knowing who the dragon's going to be talking to if it's Quentin. And now this time the dragon's against him. That's going to be pretty scary. Mm. And we'll continue along with the Julia Alice story. As you said, hopefully Julia will realize before it's too late what's going on here. And that wraps up this episode. Patreon members, just a reminder, this weekend we will be doing our drawing for who the two winners are for this month for the free CKC gear. The video should be up by Monday. Yeah, it'll announce the two winners for the new pool and the existing pool. We can't wait to put that up there. And for everyone else, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, please tell your friends about us. Let them know that this is a perfect companion to the Magician's TV show. And until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Try again.